0: What's happening guys? Happy Tuesday and thank you for joining. Another special episode of Your Welcome. Taporia Volkanovsky, here's what happened. So, leading into this fight, I have implored you the audience to understand. Whenever there's a fight, both guys in the fight know who's going to win. Now, that is a very broad stroke statement. To the point that it's a little bit irresponsible. However, if you go and talk to a group of fighters, they'll tell you that "Mm, I'm basically right. Like two guys are going to try and they're trying to get confidence and they're going to work really hard. And it's not a matter of I'm throwing it or I'm going to give it to you or I'm going to let this go easy. But they both have a very good idea. Who's stronger than who? Who's better than who? And who's going to get over on the other? So now, if you're betting on these fights or you're giving an analysis or you've been handicapping them, You're watching the interviews, and you're trying to figure out who is being sincere versus who is trying to convince themselves. And you'll always hear when a fighter's talking trash, maybe something like that, he's trying to get into his opponent's head. And there's not a truth to it. Nobody's trying to get into their opponent's head. There's not a strategy to do that. They're trying to convince themselves. That's all they're doing. The only head and the only mind that the guy talking the trash or talking big and brash, it's himself. So when we had the buildup into Volkanovsky and Tapori started to break loose a little bit, he started to come out of his shell. He started to talk about, you know, you're an old guy. And he coupled them all in there, Ortega and Rodriguez and Holloway, all of you can pack your bags and get out of here, right? When when he's doing that, I'm watching that and I'm trying to assess, does he mean it? Is he there yet? Because I can tell you when he started, the answer was no. Not only did he not believe he was the best, he didn't believe he was going to beat Volkanovsky, He didn't believe he was going to stay undefeated. He didn't believe that he was in front of all those great names I just threw out there. But you get about partway through, and all of a sudden, I'm watching his interviews, and I'm seeing it coming. I'm going, okay, he's starting to convince himself. He's getting closer. And by the time this press tour was done, I knew that Teporia had 95% convinced himself. He had succeeded at what he set out to do. He didn't convince Volk. He didn't get in Volk's head, but that's not a real thing anyway. That's a misinterpretation. He got in his own head and he was starting to convince himself. The question now comes, can he do it? Can he do what he's now talked himself into doing? And if he can, if he's going to beat Volkanovsky, how is he going to do it? I think that Taporia's greatest weapon is his hands. And I know his background, or at least if you wanted to start, what did he first get into combat with? It was wrestling, specifically Greco-Roman wrestling. So now you're talking about a lot of clinch work, right? Greco-Roman wrestling, to put in perspective for you, is what Randy Couture did so well. So when Randy Couture would do clinch work, when you saw that, when you saw dirty boxing, that term even being coined, came from Randy Couture doing in MMA what he did in wrestling, which is clinch, but then adding strikes, okay? It's as simple as that. But I don't want to tell you that that's what Teporia does best. I really think it's his hands. I think it's his speed. I think his defense. I think it's his motion. I think it's his footwork. I mean, I think that he's really a beautiful talent to watch straight up pugilistically. So can he do that with Volk? Nobody's ever outstruck Volk. And there's really not anybody that's even come close. And before you correct me and tell me that Islam knocked him out on his feet, I understand that he threw a head kick that caught him and knocked him out. I won't concede to you that there was a massive striking battle and that Islam had shown a superiority in the understanding of strikes to Volk. That's that's not what I saw. So when this fight gets started, I thought Volk was winning that the judges gave that first round to Volkanovsky, And that's very relevant, right? If you want to talk about Volkanovsky, he got old or he got tired or, or there's residue from him losing his last fight. Like, I think those are really fair talking points. I just don't think that's what happened. And if we do start to go in that direction, you're not only insulting Volkanovsky, but you're also taken away from the victory of topori And I don't think that's right because it's not what I saw. I saw two really good guys go fight and one guy is better. High stakes. All... Chips were in. So when we talk about that and we talk about what Teporia was able to do, you've also got your conditioning factors, right? Like you're going to see who's better and who the better athlete is and who's crisper. You're going to see that in these matches, but you're going to see that for the first two to three to four minutes. By the time the second round comes around, you're now in a tough guy contest. By the time guys have already gone to their corner, they're a little bit sore, they do what's called taking inventory. Well, they start to say, okay, this is how fatigued I am. Or this is how sore my leg is if my leg was kicked or my eye if my eye is getting swollen. And I now need to times that by four because there's four rounds left. Can I withstand that? This is the conversation they start having. And then the referee says, are you ready? The stools go out. The seconds go out. The cage door shuts. And then they're back at it. And most times, a guy is now looking for a way out. But can he find it? Can he find his way out? Or can he keep and stay in the battle? And these guys were just exchanging very well. Volkanovski was doing great with his jab. Deporia was doing a great job of cutting him off. And I didn't hear enough of that talked about. Like Deporia was taking ground and he was cutting off. Volk was having to be on his bike. He was having to move a little bit more than we have seen at times past. I really felt as though Volk was going to be the one to force the clinch and Volk was going to be the one to force the wrestling. And when we've seen Volk need a takedown, and it doesn't matter if that was against Rodriguez, if that was against Ortega, or even in his battles with Max Holloway. When Volk has needed a takedown, he's gone out and found it. He's done it with straight double legs. How about from the clinch when he hits those inside trips and tangles and brings him to the mat? When Volk needs to get on top, he can do it. He did not feel that urgency. He did not feel that urgency in the six, seven, eight minutes that we saw him in there with Teporia. Now, it might have come later. Perhaps Volk was getting comfortable. Perhaps Volkanovski, like me, felt Volkanovski was winning those exchanges. There was no need to mix it up. But if you were to look back at boxing as more guilty than MMA, if you were to look back at a guy who's knocked out in his previous contest, a stand-up battle does not favor him right away. He's going to be a little bit slower. He's not going to be as comfortable. He's not going to have the same volume and the same output. The reason for that is every time you move a hand away to touch your opponent, that's what exposes your own face, right? It's these hands coming back. This is what protects you. So if a guy gets knocked out, he gets hesitant to let those hands go. I think Volkanovsky got comfortable. I think Volkanovsky liked it. I think Volkanovsky said, look, I've already done this for one frame. I just got four more to go. And of those four, I only need to win two of them, right? Like, I think he was doing the math when all of a sudden Deportes stepped in and shut his lights off. I think if we could go back, and everything in life is hindsight, right? But I think if we go back, I don't know that Taporia had another style that he could have fought. Meanwhile, I do believe Volkanovski had options. I do believe Volk is more powerful when they're clinched up. I have seen Volk's wrestling be wildly effective when he wants it to be, and it's just one of those situations. Right, it's just one of those questions with all the styles and all the strategies with everything you work on in the gym, with the emerger of the groundwork, Craig Jones himself working with Volkanovski. But if you're comfortable doing something, if you're finding success with your jab, if you're finding that you can keep him at bay, if you're finding that this young guy that's supposed to be faster than me isn't faster than me, I don't know that I could blame Volkanovski. I don't know that in between rounds that I could blame his coaches and cornermen for telling him, hey, what you just did, go out and do it again. It seems like the right thing to do, but it's a risky game. And when you get in those firefights, it's not always a matter of technique and it's not a matter of power. You guys hear that in MMA? How hard this guy hit? You want to know how hard he hits? He hits hard enough. If he puts the hand where you don't want the hand, you're going to go down. It's, it's one of these situations. And it made for an incredibly interesting moment because one thing, And I'm not sold on the idea that Ilya Taporia truly believe that all these guys are old, they're all done, and he's the new thing. I I watched him start to convince himself and talk himself into it. But one thing that will change a guy's confidence, that will get him over the hump, and that will put him in the position that he's telling the world he's already in, is if you give him a world championship. So if you think you've seen impressive things from Ilya Taporia, I promise you, you haven't seen nothing yet. I take UFC 298. Who's the biggest star? Now, if I'm to say that, whose stock went up the most? Who do you want to see the most? Whose return match are you most interested in? If they all came out at headlines today, which one goes to the top of the page, right? Now, what do you think about that? Because I have feeling you're going to say Aaliyah Tupori for very good reason. You might say Maramp. Tish Labili becomes the number one contender for very good reason. Ian Gary looks like he pushed through something Very meaningful. Who do you got? Take a minute. Because you want to know who the biggest star? You want to know who the hottest talk is? Max Holloway wasn't even there. Disagree with me? Give it a shot. Do you disagree with me? The one guy who is in demand more than anybody else is Max Holloway. The guy that they were done with. Max Holloway goes on in his career to be the greatest featherweight ever. Jose, Aldo even stood back and said, hey, Max is... The greatest, and all of a sudden, this rugby player from New Zealand named Volkanovski emerges. They have a very close fight. I happen to see it live. I thought Max won They gave it to Volk gave him the belt. They rematched it. Now the rematch, and I'm not super bullish that Max won the first fight. I thought he won the second fight. I can very clearly tell you Max won three rounds to two, no question. They gave it to Volkanovski, so now they go out and they fight for a third time, and it's a gap. I mean, Volkanovski has outran everything. What do you do with Max? Max is so good and Max is so dominant. If Ilya Teporia, his undefeated record, his number one contendership, came about a way that nobody else that got to Volk's did, which is, you know what? Staying away from Max. Ilya Teporia is the only person of the modern era to find his way into a championship fight against Volkanovski that didn't have to go through Max because they realized nobody can get through Max. We've got Volk, we got Max, we got a gap, we got the rest of the field. Who's the best of the rest? Now, the reason I say that, he hasn't done anything different, right? A, A massive part of success in life, and you will find this, but when you have competition all around, you're having a hard time with them, one of the massive signs of success is to outlast them. Whether you starve them out or you're more disciplined, if you can stay in something longer, the people that can beat you, the people that are better than you, if two years from now, they've given up, they've stopped, they've moved on, maybe they reached their goals, whatever the point is that they got out of the competition, it's a great way to beat them. And when I look at Max Holloway, like, I don't know for sure what Ilya Tepori is going to go from here. He's being called out by Sean O'Malley. That can't hurt. Ilya Tepori has now represented a whole country. Dana White is saying, we were planning to go to Spain, now we're going to get to Spain even faster. Like There's massively exciting things for... Teporia, but who is next is not a question that I can answer. I give a real good look at Jair Rodriguez and the fact that he's going to fight with Brian Ortega. That seems like a massive fight to me. Two top-ranked guys, one that you could look at for a number one contendership. You then look at Volkanovski. Volkanovski is, of course, the number one contender for the championship that he owned a night ago, but I don't predict for you that Volkanovski at 35 years old is going to get the rematch. I don't predict for you that Brian Ortega or your Rodriguez is going to get a title fight if they don't ask for it and neither one of them appears to be the kind of guys that are going to go and ask for it. So as great as Tepori did, I don't exactly know what you do with them. The hardest question you could ask me out of 298 is what's next for Volk? That's a very difficult question to answer. It's very difficult to know what that plan is or what that path is how you reconcile that with the goals and vision that Volk has versus what the matchmakers might come and suggest. But one guy that is discussed in every conversation, all of a sudden, is the one guy that wasn't even there, Max Holloway. All of a sudden, Max Holloway, who looked like a stepping stone and or the next best thing, is currently signed to a title fight on the biggest card in promotion history, 300 opposite Gaethje, which is the people's main event. So what happens if Max wins? Because that discussion's already floating around out there. Does Max become number one contender? And it's Max that goes on to fight Islam? Do we revive what Chael would like to see happen? We revive and actually make a division called the BMF. And Max goes and runs in a separate campaign. This is with a win over Gaethje. Or do we do what Max says he's going to do, which is to defeat Gaethje, become the BMF, leave the division, go back to 45, and take on whoever is currently king, which for now is Ilya Teporia. Do you have any idea or do you have any suggestion better than Max with a win? That we're going to 300. We're going to all the spotlight. We're going to the people's main event of what we believe is going to be the most publicized and viewed mixed martial arts event of all time. We believe that. So now let's take and put the focus on Max and say that he wins. Do you have any suggestion more powerful for a title defense against Taporia, particularly if we, in fact, do go to Spain, than Max Holloway? Do you have any suggestion? Would you rather see a rematch with Volkanovsky? I won't tell you you're wrong. I'm, I'm open to hearing. Would you rather see Ortega? Would you rather see... Yuri Rodriguez, I want to say we got a Medal floating around that division. Do you have a different name that you'd like to see? It just appears to me that the real winner of the day in terms of whose stock is going up the most and whose potential to rise, coming out of 298, I felt like it was Max Holloway. I mean, it was a short period of time ago. Guys like me that are fans of Max are saying, hey, man, you're moving up to 155. Let's plan on staying. At 155, you're a champion, your championship quality, and we're not going to be able to get back there at 145. I mean, this was a very meaningful conversation. That Max going up to challenge Gaethje, BMF or not, looked like a step in the right direction. But Max himself is saying, "No, 55 pound belt isn't the one I care about." In all fairness, the BMF isn't the one that I put my head on my pillow at night and dream about. The one that I want is mine, and it's at 45. Well, all of a sudden, that path is very different, isn't it? And what an interesting match you would have between Max Holloway, who does a significant amount of his damage on his feet as a pugilist. I would go as far as to tell you that Ilya Taporia is the best boxer in the UFC. I know that's a moniker that we kind of go around and we move and we assign to people, but if you look like the defense and the offense of Taporia purely with his hands, just left and right hand, I don't know that I've seen anything quite as crisp. I don't know if I've seen any defense with shoulder rolls, with slipping in and out, with being able to avoid punches, not to mention countering and coming back. As anyone. So now you just have the matchup. Just the matchup in itself seems like something that we would need to see. And I don't know where we're going to go with Deporia. I don't know where we're going to go with Volkanovski. But I do know the one guy that keeps getting looked at, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about Islam, or you're talking about Gaethje for a BMF, or you're talking about coming back to 45, all of a sudden it's Max Holloway. All of a sudden, the guy that found a way to outlast, he found a way to survive. He found a way to stay motivated and never give up and keep his eye on the ball. All of a sudden, Max Holloway is in higher demand. And if I was to tell you out of 298 who the great big winner is, between a new champion, a new number one contender, what Ian Gary did. If I was to tell you the big winner of UFC 298, I'll tell you it's Max Holloway. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language, but you didn't feel like you had the time or even the energy to invest? Maybe you took some classes in high school or college, but you haven't practiced in years. Or maybe you just want to impress your girlfriend's parents by learning their native language. Rosetta Stone has you covered. They have been the expert in language learning for 30 years. And have been used by millions of people you can download the app onto your phone or your tablet so you can learn on the go i know many of you did not have the time to take a class or read through a book rosetta stone has made learning convenient and effective through their immersive learning approach what do i mean by immersive well it's the same thing as if you watch mma fights on tv but you never get into the gym Getting to the gym and taking kickboxing or jiu-jitsu classes helps you to understand the sport and become one with it. Rosetta Stone's lessons are designed for long-term retention of language skills rather than short-term memorization. The focus of the program is preparing you for real, authentic conversations, not just knowing a couple of translations. It's like having your own personal trainer for language learning. You can take Rosetta Stone with you onto the treadmill, in your daily commute or even start the day while you're getting ready for work with just 10 minutes a lesson. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started for a very limited time. My listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's all you have to do. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. That's a steal. Redeem your 50% off at RosettaStone.com slash today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Robert Whitaker, Holocausta, Where do we begin? I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. One thing going into this fight is I believed if these two went out and do what they're used to doing, it was going to be one of the most brutal fights that had ever been signed. I mean, this, this was scheduled to be a bloodsheding. Don't forget, Robert Whitaker doesn't have a meaningful takedown that you could expect him to turn to, and neither does Paulo Costa. When you think of it from that perspective, I mean, Paulo Costa is so good that he wanted to be called the Eraser. Like, that's what he and his team put down for his moniker, and then you, the fans, renamed him the Terminator. To get a name like the eraser, or the terminator, right? There's certain things that you have to do. There's a style that you have to fight with. Now, when you're talking about Robert Whitaker, you're talking about one of, I mean, very short list, no more than five top kickboxers signed to the Ultimate Fighting Championship. So there's never a good time to fight Robert Whitaker. There's never a time where that's not gonna be an extremely difficult draw, But the worst time to get Robert Whittaker is when he's coming off a loss, and he's only had a very small handful in his entire career, but if you go back and you can just do it by the numbers, go to Sherdog right now, look up Whittaker, and where you see a loss, go look at what happened the next time. He's one of these guys that knows how to come back. He's one of these guys that knows how to dig deep. He's one of these guys that stays hungry, and it's a very difficult thing to do. To reinvent yourself, to stay modern, to stay current with the times, it's... Very hard to do, particularly when you're a world champion like Whitaker. When you have a belt that says you're the best in the world, there's not an arrogance, but there is a confidence that comes along with that. Understanding that you're in a sport that many say is in its infancy. Many say the sport of mixed martial arts is just now getting started. When you're in something like that and you become the champion to believe that you've got the answers, that you've got it all figured out, that if it is in fact in its infancy, you're already full grown. But to stay humble and modern, to stay current, it's an incredible thing. Randy Couture, whose career lasted as long as anybody's. I want to say his last fight was at 47 years old, but I want to say his last world title fight was like 44 years old. And I know I'm very close by these numbers. But... I would watch Randy. I would watch him in Oregon when he would coach high school teams, but he would go into the room and he would do the workouts with the high school kids. And I maintain to this day that that is the secret ingredient to Randy's success. There was no way that the next generation could pass him up. There was no way that the next generation could have new skills and new tactics or new training methods that would surpass what he did because he was training with the kids. That was the big difference, and Randy never speaks about it. I'm not fully confident that Randy is aware that that might have been the secret to his success. And when you look at somebody like Robert Whitaker, who's always growing, he's always learning. I mean, one thing from a physicality standpoint in his match last night, he was fast. I mean, right, one one thing that happens with time, your speed goes away. They say that your power is the last thing to go. I don't know that I can co-sign that statement. I don't even know that it's an accurate statement. I just know that that is a moniker and a phenomenon that, that exists within combat. Your power is the last to go. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But the first thing to go, damn sure, is your speed. Not Robert Whitaker. He was faster last night. His punches were shorter. There was no wind. There, there was one combination where he was in his stance and to do an uppercut. So many guys drop the arm and then they bring the arm up. He did an uppercut and he did it right there. Never moved his, his hand. He was right here, Paul Acosta came out, boom, and he just barely moved it. It was, it was just a short uppercut, but I remember seeing it happen. I remember thinking, this is what I see from a youthful fighter who shows a potential to be a world champion. It's not what I see from a veteran fighter who already, once upon a time, had been world champion. I mean, Drink is 2 plus Z versus Robert Whitaker. The Robert Whitaker that fought last night is a very interesting matchup. And I could keep on going through the lineup with that. I mean, if I was to put Sean Strickland against the Robert Whitaker that fought last night specifically, right? There's something about, and everybody performs their best. Every athlete with certain ingredients. Many guys that might be a weight class. We spoke over here many times that Daniel Cormier's optimum weight class wasn't 205 where he was a world champion. It was actually heavyweight where he was also a world champion. I can tell you, Personally, growing up from a wrestling background, the semifinals was always my best round. I couldn't tell you why. I can just tell you when my career was done. And I look back, I could do that from a mixed martial arts standpoint to personalize and look at round number two was my worst round. Round, no- if you were going to beat me, you're going to have to do it in round number two. If we got to round three, you were not going to catch me. I couldn't tell you why. I don't know that Robert Whitaker could sit down and articulate for you what it is about going into a match coming off of defeat. I don't know if it's a hunger. My guess, there's largely a fear. You only get so many losses, two in a row, you're never having a conversation about title again. Three in a row, you're eligible to be cut. So it's just one of these situations where what is it about last night? What is it about each time that he gets beat and he gets knocked down that he never stays there? Right, A a real fighter isn't about the punches and the kicks. That's called aggression. That's not fighting. I know a lot of greats that are even in our Hall of Fame today that shouldn't be there because they weren't fighters. The second the going got tough, they quit. And that's not what a fighter is. That is a term over my lifetime that has been corrupted. If you're good at punching and kicking somebody, that's called aggression. If you can handle the punches and kicks coming at you, that's what a fighter is. Robert Whitaker is as true and pure of a fighter as I've ever seen. He's an absolute lock to go into the Hall of Fame. And when I look at Whitaker and where he needs to go from now, it's the same analysis that I will look at Paulo Costa and where Paulo needs to go from now, which is quite simply, no more breaks. No more year delays. No more talking about talking and meeting about meetings and thinking about thinking. Got to compete. Got to go in there, get those contracts signed, get back into that training camp and turn over as many performances as you can. It's the one thing that brings pause when you talk about Robert Whitaker's career. Where should we go with him now? Well, I need to know that he's active. I need to know that he can take on three fights in a year. And the same thing goes for Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa might be everybody's favorite fighter. I was live in the arena. You would not believe the reception that audience gave when Paul Costa came through the curtain, man. They had missed him, and they were thrilled to see him. And he looked great. He looked great. You didn't have anybody give up last night. You didn't have anybody quit last night. You didn't have anybody leave their tools in the back, get scared, get tired. You had two guys that went out. They brought it. Fifteen minutes goes by. You turn to the judges, ask them who won. But what would happen if they were keeping a full schedule? How much better would they be doing if there wasn't a year, a year and a half gaps in between? It's food for thought. It was an awesome fight. The winner was Robert Whitaker, but I'm not comfortable telling you that Paulo Costa was the loser. I don't think there was a loss last night. I think both guys, they fought in a co-main event. I think at a worst, they both returned to a co-main event. These are two popular guys. It was a wonderful fight, and that is the recap. Gary, Jeff Neal, a lot riding on this. Now, I had the good fortune of being in Boston for Ian Gary's last fight. Ian Gary had that audience eating out of his hand. Now, to put in perspective for you, that's the same night that Sugar Sean O'Malley became champion of the world. Sugar Sean O'Malley, particularly in the absence of Conor McGregor, might be the biggest star in the UFC right now. So you could only imagine the reception that O'Malley is going to get, right? You can only imagine the reception of the sport's biggest star, not to mention on his biggest night, not to mention capping off with a world title. But aside from Sean, there was no question in who that audience collectively was there to see. again, I'm talking about Boston and it was Ian Gary. Ian Gary had done media that was so popular and got so carried away, the police had to come in and shut it down They had broken fire marshal code for how many people could be in one area, but this is how over the guy is. Don't forget, Ian Gary's 26 years old. And he had so much that was going into this, and it wasn't physical. From a physical standpoint, we've seen what Gary can do, and he's proven himself. We can say the same about Jeff Neal, right? These guys are really good fighters. They're all really good fighters. This was a mental test. When I'm telling you about Boston, 17,000-plus, on their feet, cheering for, feeding and fueling energy to Ian Gary so he can go out there and have a great performance. Okay, great. Imagine the opposite. 17,000-plus, wanting him to lose, sucking whatever they could, whatever they could from a confidence and a motivation from Gary and handing it to his opponent, who could have been anybody. In this case, it was Neil, right? Like they were not, the audience was not there and they were pro-Neil. They were anti-Gary and that's different. It's different. Now, how is a young man at 26 years old going to deal with this? So, and you have to look at it from this perspective because there's so many things that can rattle a guy, right? Like Popeye and his spinach is a very real thing, but so is Superman and his kryptonite. It's a very real thing. When things are outside of your control, you don't know if the audience is going to like you. You don't know if they're going to back you. You don't know if the three judges assigned to this fight are going to listen to the audience as opposed to watching the action in front of him. And even if even if one doesn't have to do it with the other, it can get into a fighter's mind. Particularly when you have a young fighter with so much to lose. Who do you think had more to lose last night between Gary and Neil? Neil's moved in the rankings three spots in front of Gary, but Gary was a meaningful favorite. Neil's lost, I believe, three of his last five. Is that what it is? Gary has never lost a fight in his entire life. Neil is not in the conversation to be opposite Leon. Gary's got a great story opposite Leon where he's even thrown out of the gym, right? None of this is meant to put Neil down. I'm just sharing with you all the things that Gary was up against. How was he going to perform? It wasn't the outcome, by the way. I mean, that, that, that was as close as it gets. It ends up being a split decision. But the outcome doesn't change my analysis. Gary went out there and he fought. He went out there and he brought his skills. You'll hear about, from a physicality standpoint, who has the reach advantage. And I don't ever know why we say that. It's just something weird that we say in fighting. Because you're talking about who has a longer arm. I couldn't imagine, if I was ever in a fight on the playground, like in a million years, if I came home and told my dad about the fight, he's never going to say, did the kid have a longer arm than you? I have no idea where this became an advantage. But it's something that we discussed in the sport. But when you talk about guys with a reach advantage... You're also going to hear from the same terrible analysts. If he can keep him at the end of his punches, but they don't go a step further to tell you, the audience, what it means to keep a guy at the end of their punches. Do you want to know why? Because they don't know. They don't have the foggiest idea what it means to keep a guy at the end of your punches. And let me tell you something. There's only three guys in the UFC that know how to do it. Dan Hooker, John Jones, and Ian Gary. And I got to think that's a big compliment I'm giving Gary. I'm putting, him, I'm putting this young 26-year-old in the same category, rare air of John Jones and Dan Hooker, guys that actually know I'm longer than you. If I can keep you out of range, you guys ever seen that cartoon? You seen that cartoon where the guy with the long arms right in the character and, and, and the other guy is punching and he's working up some steam and he's big and strong, but he can't ever touch him because the guy's got longer arms? That's a very real thing if you know how to use it. You'll see John Jones control fight, boom, boom, John will be picking someone right, boom. Then you'll see John just stick his hand out. John will just straight up put his palm on the guy to keep him at bay. That's somebody that knows how to use their reach and keep you at the end of their punches. That's what Ian Gary does so well. And if you're gonna be a, a wrestler, if you wanna get inside, right, you're gonna have to find a way. And Ian Gary doesn't stay on his feet. to to put wrestling and and nullify it. He doesn't do that by sprawling. He doesn't do that by scrambling. He does that by offering a threat of a knee right up the middle. He keeps you at the end of his punches and then he shows you a knee right up the middle. And if you get dangerous and you wanna get stupid with him, he'll hit you right in the body with it. He'll hit you right in the chin with it. But a lot of times he'll lift a knee right up the middle and he'll miss you completely. He's just showing you. He's showing you and he's making a threat which is keeping people at bay. Fascinating analysis that I just gave you. Because I'm foreshadowing that Gary gets what he wants, which is Colby Covington. Now that is a very dangerous match for both guys. I cannot imagine a world where Colby does not accept that challenge. I've been off of social media today. I'm actually traveling. I'll bet you Colby's already accepted and I just haven't seen it yet. But if we start to break that fight down, let's make no mistake. Colby's going to have to get inside. Make no mistake, Gary's going to have to keep him at bay. And all the compliments I gave Gary about how good he's doing that and he uses the knee and keeps you at the end of the punches, you're talking about a whole different animal when you're talking about Colby Covington, and you're likely to find him in a three-round atmosphere. The type of pace and the type of aggression that Colby can bring you when he's only got 15 minutes as opposed to 25, I mean, it's an interesting match, guys. And there's no way to pick on Gary or call him scared. I have only heard in my life one other person call out Colby. I've heard plenty of people put Colby down. I've heard plenty of people try to pull Colby back. I've heard plenty of people not wanting to see him in title shots and not want to see him in main events, but they never said, put me in there. They never said, I can beat that guy. One person I got to give, uh, Gilbert Burns, I have to give a pass to. Gilbert Burns, in fairness, has called out Colby company that Nobody else has, but he and Gary did, and he meant it, and he was serious, and he gets credit for that. Now, as it pertains to Gary versus Covington. That's a conversation for another day. If that fight get made, and we'll do an analysis, we'll break that down and we'll look forward to it. But there is an old adage out there. Be very careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. I am debating Bringing you this piece, I've actually sit here, I've I've hemmed and hawed. I got my partner on one side of the camera; you can't see. I got my wife on the other side of the camera. I just told my partner, I said, "Turn, "Turn the camera on. We're gonna see where this goes." There is a way that you have to speak in life at certain times. It would not matter if you couldn't stand a person. If that person died, you do not in that moment, say anything ill. Can we all agree, just for example? And as strong as that might be, the death of a career still does bring a mourning process. And Henry Cejudo is a friend of mine. He's also been a partner of mine. We've worked together and commentated a number of times. We visit socially. And I followed his career, and I followed it as a fan. And I've been very critical at times in his career. But it came from a good spot, which is I believed in him. So now that we are removed from his fight with Mirab, which I believe is going to be Henry's last fight, but, but now that we're there, we still need to be able to look back because this is one of the greats. And when you have one of the greats, there's things that you can study. And it's generally... To identify, emulate, and copy. But at times, even with the greats, there's things you want to study to identify and perhaps criticize. And you would talk to them and say, would you do it differently if you could go back? Look, history has a way of repeating itself. Can we agree? Okay. Then let's talk a little history on Henry Cejudo. In 2008, he made history. He was not an NCAA All-American. He's not an NCAA champion. In fact, he didn't have a scholarship and didn't even wrestle under the banner of the NCAA, not one single time. The only American that can say as much and made a United States Olympic team. There has been guys that were not NCAA All-Americans that made Olympic teams. That's huge news. Henry Cejudo never even competed under the NCAA. It's fascinating. Not only made the team, he won the gold medal. It was the youngest American ever to win a gold medal. Henry Cejudo had an Olympic championship and could not legally go into a bar. That is an amazing accomplishment. Okay. Now, it changed his life. All of a sudden, Henry wasn't just a successful athlete. That had been true since junior high. Henry had a medal. Henry was on top of the podium. Henry's being recognized. None of that was new. That had been happening since junior high. He was just cloaked with success. But now because of the gold medal, he's got different people wanting a piece of his time. He's got people that want to give him money. He's got people that wanted to give him a car. He had people that wanted him to write a book and he had people that wanted him to go and do speaking tours. I read the book and I've been present at a number of those speaking tours. Henry enjoyed it. For the first time ever, he was actually enjoying being recognized and being patted on the back for the accomplishments that he got through sacrifice and hard work. But, wouldn't you know, it took time. And as time is going by, 2012 and the Olympic trials are seeping closer and closer. And now there's a discussion, is Henry going to come back? Henry hadn't competed since that Olympic gold medal. It looked as though he was turning the page. He said that he was turning the page, but nobody fully believed it. And it's very hard for somebody who's 24 years old, right in the prime of their life, that's got the whole world looking at him, not to mention a community that they're part of asking them, please come back, we need you. So Henley finally raises his hand. He says, I'm going in. Now the question is, okay, well, who's training you? Terry Brands, according to Henry himself, was the secret ingredient that could not be done without when it led to that Olympic team and that Olympic gold medal, and all of a sudden, Terry Brands is nowhere around. As a matter of fact, we had a very hard time finding out who officially was Henry's coach at that time and what officially was the team he was associated with. It was very difficult to get those answers, but one thing was constant, which is Henry knew, I am the best, I will make the team. Now, I believe in hindsight, If we could go back and get in Henry's mind, I think Henry's thought process was the Americans got nothing for me. I'm going to go out and make the Olympic team. Now, between the trials and the Olympics, I'm going to really need to buckle down and sacrifice. I know that, and I am going to do it. We'll get to that after the trials. Well, we don't know what Henry had in planned. And we don't know who that head coach was going to be. And we don't know what team that would be because he didn't get through the trials. He ran into Nick Simmons. Nick Simmons had been watching him. He'd been studying. He'd been planning for him. While Henry is thinking about the Russian and Henry's thinking about the Iranian in the Olympics of which he's not yet qualified for, Nick Simmons is thinking about Cejudo. And it changed the course of history for Henry's personal wrestling career. And it caught him by surprise. He genuinely was stunned that he didn't make the team. Okay, great. Now, the reason I say that history repeats itself Henry Cejudo was the champion of the world going into a title defense against Dominic Cruz at something called UFC 246. He put on one of the great performances, stopping one of the greatest fighters ever. Not just of the weight class. Not just that Henry had to face to that point. Dominic Cruz is as good as any fighter to ever call himself a fighter. Henry not only beat him, he stopped him. It was this incredible moment. Henry's on top of the world. Henry handed it all back. He took the belt off and he handed it back. Now again, much like when he retired from wrestling, we didn't believe it. We didn't think he meant it. And we were right because sure enough in 2012, he came back and sure enough in his fighting career, he didn't fully mean it. He did come back, but now there's a question of who's training him and what gym does he even train at? To the extent that Henry himself became a coach. We were seeing Henry Cejudo in other people's corners. A coach is so incredibly selfless. You're there for the athlete. An athlete is one of the worst people you're ever going to be around because they're so selfish. It's nearly impossible to do both at the same time. In fact, I've never seen it done successfully. I thought Henry would be the exception. But it's one of those situations where it appears that history repeated itself. And Henry got comfortable. I thought that Henry's fight with Marab was awesome. I thought that he stood up. I thought he traded punches. I thought his conditioning was there. I thought he found a way to maximize his potential, shorten it into 15 minutes. But ultimately, one guy does a better job than the other. One guy's a little bit hungrier. One guy wants it a little bit more. One guy wants that taste. And I felt as though we saw that with Marab, and now Henry is saying that he's done. I happen to believe him. When you have somebody with that level of success, like there's nothing about Henry's career that I would critique and there's nothing even about Henry's performance that I would have a hard time with in this moment. All I would ever say to Henry is thank you for the moments and congratulations. Henry says he's the greatest combat athlete of all time. He might be right. Nobody's got the resume of Henry Cejudo. But before we start talking about the youngest Olympic champion ever, and before we start talking about the 35-pound champion in the UFC and the 25-pound champion in the UFC, before we start talking about the guy that quite possibly saved an entire division, before we graduate and start talking about what could be one of the most decorated coaches, if that's the pursuit he goes on, there is another side to the coin. Which is not every decision that was made was a perfect decision. And if you're paying Henry full respect to watching his career, you got to bring his wrestling career into it. And if you want to question at times where perhaps he was on one road that led to success and perhaps he took detours, got a little comfortable, you wouldn't be wrong. And history does repeat itself. And I feel it repeated itself again here. All right, guys, that's it for today's program. Thank you for listening. And remember, If you want to support the show, you can do it. All you got to do is leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or submit a rating on Spotify. And I promise you, I will read one of your great reviews on our next episode, which comes out on Friday. Until then, everybody, I'm Chael Sonnen. And you are welcome.